Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, Democrats announce a $50 million campaign to take control of drawing legislative district boundaries. The Pennsylvania legislature considers legislation to enforce the Supreme Court's Janus decision and government worker rights. And the Labor Department promulgates a rule to increase transparency of government worker unions. They're calling it Flip Everything, and it is a $50 million target campaign by the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee to target Republican-held state legislative chambers in North Carolina, Texas, Florida, Georgia, and Ohio. The ultimate goal, according to the Center for Responsive Politics, is for Democrats to take control of the congressional and state legislative redistricting processes. For those unfamiliar, redistricting is the process under which, after each census, states redraw their state legislative and congressional districts, assuming they have multiple congressional districts, to ensure close enough equality in district populations and to account for reapportionment of representatives among states because of differential population growth. Center for Responsive Politics reports that the DLCC expects to have help. The pro-abortion candidate recruiting organization Emily's List and the National Democratic Redistricting Committee announced having raised $10 million and $3 million as of year-end 2019. For the GOP's part, the center reports that the National Republican Redistricting Trust has announced its own campaign with a $35 million target. This political arms race was the inevitable outcome of last year's Supreme Court decision holding that redistricting policy was an inherently political question, leaving it in the hands of the political processes in the various states. The benefit of leaving it in the political process is that the political processes in states that maintain redistricting by legislation are out in the open, and far less subject to backdoor gamesmanship than supposedly depoliticized alternatives. As ProPublica reported during the Independent Redistricting Commission process after the 2010 census in California, gaming of the process, especially by playing with the definitions of communities of interest that the commissions are supposed to consider, by organized advocacy groups, led to a de facto gerrymander. According to Capital Research Center's own analysis, the California congressional districts returned 10 more Democrats than the state's vote shares would have returned under a proportional representation system. In 2018, the Supreme Court handed down its judgment in Janus v. AFSCME, holding that mandatory union fees in the government sector were unconstitutional violations of workers' First Amendment rights. In Pennsylvania, a state that required those fees, and still allows mandatory union fee arrangements in the private sector, the debate has now turned to how to bring the state's government employment rules into compliance with the new precedents. For Capital Research Center's Labor Watch, Kevin Mooney reports on the ongoing debates, which target maintenance of membership provisions in government worker contracts and seek to inform government workers of their Janus rights. Other government workers who are forced to pay union fees for years are suing for refunds, The cases are currently before a number of federal appellate courts. Maintenance of membership, which refers to rules requiring government workers to maintain their union membership with resignations restricted to a 15-day window, usually right before contract expiration, seems directly contradictory to the Janus ruling. As workers like Francisco Molina, whom Mooney profiles, sue to get their money back, unions are trying to render their cases moot by paying refunds. The unions do this to avoid a precedent-setting ruling holding that maintenance of membership in the government sector would be unconstitutional. Paying workers back one by one moots the cases. Members of the State House of Representatives have introduced legislation to make the union's gambit moot by allowing government workers to resign at any time they wished. Other legislation has been introduced to require government employers in the state to inform employees of their Janus rights, not to financially support or to join a government worker labor union. The legislation faces long odds in a state governed by Tom Wolfe, 
The Democratic governor has received support from government worker unions and has blocked school choice efforts opposed by the Pennsylvania State Education Association, the state-level coalition of the NEA Teachers Union. In 2003, the Department of Labor issued a proposed rule that would have required intermediate bodies of state and local government worker labor unions to file the detailed annual reports to the Labor Department that private sector unions and national labor unions file. The unions naturally sued to block the rule. By 2009, the Labor Department had won in court, but the Obama administration issued a rule to reverse the filing requirement. Well, now the Labor Department has come back to try again, reissuing the proposed intermediate bodies rule. Behind the rule is the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act of 1959, landmark union transparency legislation passed in response to revelations of widespread organized crime influence and other corruption in labor unions, especially Jimmy Hoffa's Teamsters. The law required covered unions, basically all labor unions other than state and local government worker unions, to file reports detailing their spending and official salaries for inspection by union members in the public. Before the George W. Bush administration, these reports were not very detailed. Since revisions by that administration, the reports for large unions, defined by annual revenue, have been extremely detailed, listing each expenditure over $5,000 and each vendor receiving over $5,000 in total in a given year. If you want to know how we identify union support for the broad progressive agenda through interest groups, reading these LM2 reports is how we do it. Others use the reports for other purposes. Alongside other evidence, the Los Angeles Times used LM2s to identify suspect spending by a local SEIU union in the late 2000s. A federal investigation later led to the conviction of the local union president, Tyrone Freeman. But there is a hole in the reporting, a hole that the intermediate bodies rule seeks to fill. A national, municipal, or state workers union has to file an LM2. If it sends money to an intermediate chartered body of the union, it has to report that spending. But if certain conditions are met by the chartered body, the most clear-cut and relevant of which is having no private sector, including non-government, non-profit sector members, the money trail ends there. What the intermediate body does with the rule is unknown. The intermediate body's rule would close this loophole, providing transparency in the activities of dozens of state-level and regional-level federations of government worker unions to union members and to public scrutiny. And that union member scrutiny matters even more in a post-Janus environment. That's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.